if you've got a $300,000 property uh, doubling in value, then you make 300 grand. But if you've got uh, a $3 million portfolio and that doubles in value, then you make 3 mil. So the, the, the question for any investor is how do you get to that 3 mil mark in the most quickest, but also the most risk less way? And how do you wait and hold on to those houses until that happens? This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyron Shum and in this episode of Invest Like a Pro, we're chatting with founder and director of Housefinder, Simon Liu. He shows us how 8 times 12 actually equals something more like 96,000 as long as you're willing to sacrifice appeal for rental potential. Plus, he explains why bigger plus newer doesn't always equal better. Lou's client didn't intend to purchase 8 properties in 12 months but life and the property market works in mysterious ways. He came to him through a broker he works with frequently and found him to be a perfect match for the dozen properties that had been sitting on his shelf for quite some time proving that nothing is truly unsellable. You know, I sat down with him, talked to him about his goals, what he wanted to achieve. Uh, like most of uh, these conversations that we have, uh, the goal was to achieve uh, passive income. Uh, and I explained to him how that could work, you know, how many properties you're going to need to get there, what kind of cash flow you're going to need, the types of properties, how often you need to buy. And uh, he was pretty, um, pretty convinced about the strategy. You know, this particular broker that, um, that, that he's working with has developed a massive property portfolio himself and in his own right. Uh, and similar to me in my initial journey, property journey, um, I, I, I uh, you know, got myself to a point where I had passive income as well to quit my day job. So I think he's, you know, maybe it was, <laughs> I guess, the, the fact of having two, two people, um, you know, in his immediate vicinity, kind of just mentoring him and educating him along the way and kind of just showing the ropes that kind of enabled him to uh, progress mentally a lot quicker than let's say an average investor. There's always this, the, the struggle I guess when people first start off to jump into investing, it sounds like this person has a want and a need to invest and he's starting from scratch um, and he's ready to go in but then I guess the, the, you always go okay, why is it that some of them actually just take the action and then you know do really well and others even though they've been given a strategy and a plan, they just sit in um and ah and procrastinate for a little bit longer until they make the jump. What, what, do, you, what do you see the differences here? Well, I always say property investing is actually a blue collar job, right? In the sense that you can analyze and look at data and focus on, you know, all these different stats and the economy and all these peripheral uh, elements that could or could not affect the market. But um, at the end of the day, I find just over the years, I've noticed, not fine, that the people that tend to do well are the people that just simply consistently take action, right? And there's always a scenario or a situation or something that stops somebody investing in property. 
right? I remember very clearly at the start of COVID, uh, when all the lockdowns started happening, uh, people were like, oh, you know, I'm, it's too risky. I'm not going to invest. If we look back now, that would have been the perfect time to buy because the market was dead quiet. And then consequently, there was like a massive boom in every single city, all parts of Australia. Um, and then after COVID, uh, I guess all these lockdowns started, uh, started easing up. Uh, there was a flood of buyers back in the market, you know, looking for houses to live in. And then investors again, or not all investors, but a lot of investors again were thinking, oh, you know, it's a little bit too hot at the moment. I'm going to wait a little bit more. You can see the pattern here. Exactly. Yeah, you can see where it's kind of headed. And then, okay, lo and behold, recently, as we all know, a lot of markets have cooled down. The reason behind the markets have cooled down has created the new fear. Interest rates potentially going up, economy going down, inflation, all this kind of stuff. And once again, everyone, or not everybody, some, some many investors are thinking, oh, you know what, it's a little bit shaky now, I'm going to wait a bit. So, you know, I'm sure it's, it gets said time and time again, it's not timing the market, it's a time in the market. And the people, including myself and everyone that I know that has actually developed a large enough portfolio to, to quit their jobs or achieve their goals is, you know, you should always be looking at your situation, how much you earn, how much you've got in savings, how much equity you have. And you should always be thinking, what's my next move? How am I going to go ahead? Right? And if you're like, okay, cool, I, I can now actually buy a property, investment property. What's the area? What's the criteria? Obviously, right now, yeah. as of today that we're having a chat, it would be ridiculous to buy investment property in Sydney, right, at the peak. So you look at other areas, look at different places, different types of properties, and, you know, your consistency in moving forward at the end of the day, <coughs> you just end up exposing yourself to more growth. That's really the bottom line. Well, like if you've got a $300,000 property, uh, doubling in value, then you make 300 grand. But if you got uh, a $3 million portfolio and that doubles in value, then you make 3 mil. So the, the, the question for any investor is how do you get to that 3 mil mark in the most quickest, but also the most risk less way? And how do you wait and hold on to those houses until that happens? So with this particular investor, he started off with that right mindset. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't planning to go one every month almost because, you know, we're so, so far we're eight properties deep uh, within about 12 months. Um, you know, the first one we bought, uh, you know, uh, it was a, um, a, a really basic home, uh, but it was cheap. It was in Queensland in an area called, in, in Logan. Everyone loves Logan. Well, that's where, where your portfolio is substantially, you know, invested as well and made your money. So a, a couple of consistencies with every single property we bought okay they were all off market extremely extremely important in any market up down it doesn't matter by the time it hits the market it sells properties sell very quickly uh, and at a high price because it's just competition just like anything in life so they're all off, all off off market another similarity is that these areas or these properties or a combination of both were completely not sexy at all right so they had, you know, a lot of these houses were were super old, almost run down, um, but they were clean, tidy, rentable, number one. And number two, we got them at such a bargain 
that it justified the fact that they looked like pretty bad, right? And the thing that if I look back at this journey and how this journey started and how it's where it's at at the moment, probably the underlying factor as to why um, uh, this client has 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 achieved what he's achieved so far is because he completely blocked out the emotional side of buying properties, right? And we're all privy to it because even though we all like to say, yeah, we, we're all about numbers, we're all going to buy property to make money. If you're presented with a house that is just so far out of your depth in terms of your expectations as to what a livable, viable property is physically, it's really hard to take that jump, take that plunge, even if the numbers are stellar, right? And I've always maintained in any suburb, even the best suburbs in Australia, there's always like the worst house on the worst street main road and they've got the biggest mansion in the best street right you can make money out of both as an investor if you get them cheap enough so it's kind of just like look not all the houses we bought for this client has have been just dilapidated dumps but a lot of them have been and that's how that's one of the ways that we managed coupled with the off-market notion is one of the ways that we managed to pick these properties properties up quite cheaply and in terms of the market price how much under the market would you have Approximately, it doesn't have to be exact for everyone, but approximately, did you pick it up under? I would say in the region of 30 ish percent, 20 to 30 percent below market value. That's a huge, that's huge. I mean, you're already making 30 percent going in then, basically. It is because it's yeah, okay. So, a couple of things as well. The price points for a lot of these properties were quite, quite low, right? So, a lot of them were around about the $300,000 mark, and we're talking houses on decent blocks of land. Um, $300,000 mark and, you know, for these houses to be, uh, to, to, if they were marketed normally and sold normally would maybe get 390 instead of 300, that's already 30% below. But like for, I guess, if you're looking at it purely from a dollar perspective, the $90,000 doesn't sound spectacular, but you have to look at the percentage and multiply by eight in this case, then it, it starts to become significant. So, and actually, there's actually a very interesting uh, example. We, th- during the journey, I guess, there was one property that we secured uh, for, I think it was like three, 360 or 370 or something like that, off market. And um, uh, the, um, it, it got to a point where the, the seller decided to not go ahead with the sale, right? Uh, I won't get into the reasons why because it, it, there was a, a bit of a faff around that, that situation. But he, anyway, the seller decided not to go, go ahead with the sale. And <laughs> instead, what they decided to do was put the property online and sell it. And then literally within a week, it, the property sold for $450. So we had it under contract for $360. And had the seller gone through with it, we would have been obviously able to pick up that deal, but he didn't. So, you know, it is what it is. But you know, he ended up selling for 450. And for me, that was kind of like real evidence that these genuine deals and bargains exist, whether it's from the ignorance of the seller or maybe ignorance from the agent, or maybe they don't care about selling for the highest price. They just want ease. That's, um, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of key to building this portfolio. Totally, totally. I think that's really good points that you've made there. And it's so important to understand that you know, for as an investor, when you go into any deal, you've got to make sure that you are going in 
at, at least you know making your money in because there's no point buying an overpriced property because you end up holding onto something that you may not make any money for a long time. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the other thing is it minimizes risk. Like there's an element of risk with everything that we do in investing. But when you're, when you're clearly buying houses way below what they should be selling for, if you had to sell it the next day, you know, you look, I don't know if you're going to make money out of it, but adding, buying, selling expenses, all that kind of stuff, at the very least, you're not going to lose any money, right? So that's, um, that's an important factor as well. So we bought, we kept buying properties. Um, six of these properties were in Brisbane. Two of them are in WA, uh, in Perth. Um, and the, because we were able to buy these properties quite low in value, the yields were quite high as well. So some of these rental yields were around about the six and a half percent mark, um, just off the bat, no dual living, no granny flats, no weird sort of dual key type setups or 20 rooms or anything like that. The standard three bedroom houses, um, a lot of them were already rented long-term. Uh, some of them did require a little bit of work, which obviously given the fact that you're making 90 grand off the bat or 30%, uh, you know, if you had to chuck in 10 grand to fix a little, a few things up here and there, then it's obviously income, you know, there's no, there's no, um, a drop in the ocean basically. So yeah, we're up until this point. Uh, it's been an amazing journey. Um, he's keen to buy more, but, uh, uh, he's got a priority at the moment of buying a house for his family to live in first, uh, which is kind of just stalling things <laughs> for now. Um, and uh, and once that's done, then we're going to keep going. <laughs> so so he's got yeah he's got no uh, no intention to stop at this point in time. <laughs> I should have asked you this earlier at the beginning was just to give a bit of background behind who he is. Um, what's his occupation? How many, does he have a family? Does he have any kids? Just give us a little bit of background behind that so we can sort of just paint the picture of who this person is. Family man. He's got married uh, three kids. Um, he's, uh, uh, him and his wife both work. Uh, pr pretty high income each. So I, I would say around about $150,000 per annum each. So household income of maybe around $300,000-ish mark. Um, and, uh, like it, it's, it's, it's a situation where it's quite actually normal, you know, it's not, it's not extra amazing in terms of income or anything like that. They've obviously got dependents. Um, and I think this is key as to why getting a super good broker is very important. You know, there's a lot of talk you see now about people finding it hard to get finance and all this kind of stuff. I think there are definitely many ways to get finance um, and a good broker will be able to direct you through the maze of, you know, using the right banks at the right time, uh, uh, you know, looking at what specifically what each property you're buying and the purpose of each property. So if your goal is to pull out equity from some of these initial purchases, then you need to go with a specific bank that's got like an easy cash out policy. So anyway, the broker was very important in that in that context. Um, yeah, just you know, middle aged, like no, nothing really that that kind of um, extraordinary. You know, just a standard family, and he's um, you know, I think they were just inspired and keen just to get out there and improve uh, 
not only the, the lives of the family, but also just build a lot of security around whether it's a worst case scenario and you don't have a job anymore or whether it's just for early retirement or whatever the case may be, financial freedom. Coming up after the break, we get the lowdown on Logan. Anyone knows anything about Logan, uh, you know, about 12 months ago, it was still growing quite rapidly. What makes property seem unsellable when they should really be the complete opposite? Just so you know, my job as a buyer's agent, I get a lot of properties coming in. Interestingly, the houses that we're talking about that have amazing potential to make a ton of money are the ones that most of my clients don't want. He reveals the total purchase value for his client and the staggering actual current value. So the cash flow is there, growth is there, equity is there. And you know, for him in, in such a short amount of time, he's, he's, got, he's got choices now. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Have you been looking for months and getting frustrated that each property you've seen seems to be a lemon? Or are you after distress, off-market, high cash flow properties in high growth areas, capital city locations? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you are not alone. For being a loyal listener of the podcast, Simon Liu is offering a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415-626-342 and quote Property Investory. When we're going to invest into property, a lot of us need deposits. Since this makes the first property usually the hardest to acquire, Lou explains how his client hopped on the ladder. They did have quite a lot of savings, you know, three hundred thousand dollar a year. You, you know, unless you're living a very frivolous life, you do end up saving quite a chunk of it. Uh, and they came into the journey with um, with a couple of hundred thousand dollars of of uh, of savings. So, you know, initially, obviously, we were just chipping away at that, buying each of these properties. But eventually, we started to pull out the equity from the initial ones that we bought. And um, it's very integral to uh, everything that I talk about. The main reason why we want to buy these bargains below market value is uh, so that we can pull out the equity pretty quickly and use that equity to buy more properties down the track. So, you know, if anyone knows anything about Logan, uh, you know, about 12 months ago, it was still growing quite rapidly. So a lot of these houses that we bought, even though they were 20, 30% below market value, also experienced a lot of organic growth within the past 12 months. So some of these properties, you know, have got maybe 60-70% of equity or capital growth or both that was readily available from purchase price. And if you look at like pure again, purely from a dollar perspective, like you know, hundred thousand dollars. It's not like the, the the most amazing thing, but the, considering the fact that we only paid three hundred to get the hundred, is is pretty high, you know. And a hundred grand is obviously more than enough for a, a deposit, stamp duty, buying costs and stuff for another house. 
So, yes, uh, this particular client did start off on a on a on a pretty uh, a, a pretty solid capital position, but at the at the rate that he was buying, I mean that quickly uh, ran out, you know, so to speak. So so yeah, it was uh, it's definitely um, uh, definitely uh, a combination of both. Yeah, and that that's the key thing I think um, having a good broker in place to be able to get the finance because obviously you're not paying three hundred thousand dollars in cash. You know, you're leveraging using the bank's money. You put a deposit down, and then hopefully at I don't, I don't know twenty percent deposit, you can start to dig into that. You know, those deposits. And just out of curiosity, did he actually buy these properties one after another or did he actually just go and buy a group first and then once he got the chance to refinance, then he started buying more? All of them were one after another. Wow. <laughs> there was probably one or two, maybe two properties where there was a slight overlap. So we were maybe like one or two weeks from settlement. And then like, okay, so just so you know, my job as a buyer's agent, I get a lot of properties coming in. Interestingly, the houses that we're talking about that have amazing potential to make a ton of money are the ones that most of my clients don't want. Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely. Because a lot of my clients, and rightly so, there's nothing wrong with this. They they need to, they also need peace of mind. Not everyone can just, especially beginners, can just go out and go, yep, I want to make lots of money and they go out and buy an absolute physical, unattractive, old, dilapidated, what appears to need a lot of work type of property to invest in, especially if you're buying not in your backyard, so thousands of kilometers away interstate. So, you know, even though our focus, yes, off market, below market value, good houses, all that kind of stuff, they still want an element of, um, the house being solid, the house being physically not bad looking, the house to be fairly new, you know, is a very common one that I get. Let's just dig on that point a little bit or just delve into being new. Why do people want new when, you know, you've already paid a premium for having a brand new build? What's the reason behind that, do you think? When I say new, I would say like sub 10 years. Uh, we do get that a lot. You know, people are like, oh, I only want something that's max 10 years old. And I think it's um, unjustified uh, preconception that a newer house is easier to manage, to maintain, attracts better tenants. That's a very big one I get. Who would want to rent an old crappy house <laughs> versus owning, uh, versus renting a, uh, a newer, nicer looking house? And yeah, obviously that's completely true, but you've got to realize they're completely different rental mounts, right? There's a house for everybody. Um, so, it, you know, and, and like I said, there's nothing wrong with this mindset because sleep at night factor is extremely important. It doesn't matter how much money you make. If you can't sleep at night, then there's no point to it. So, um, you know, when you know, depreciation, another one is another big thing. You know, I always say depreciation benefits are a gravy on top. Right? Whether you get $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 a year of depreciation, it, it's, it's kind of like, oh, wow, my, my property was cash flow positive uh, $5,000 in that financial year. I've got this amazing report that's going to help me deduct that and maybe bring it back down to negative, slightly negative cash flow territory so I pay less tax. Like It's just a bonus. It should, you should never invest based on tax benefits. I say this all the time. It's all about making money. It's not about saving money. 
I think that's that's also a mindset. Even I had that before. I'll admit is that I'll try to try and hit my tax bracket really low to earn less income, or maybe try and offset as much as possible. But you realize you can only go so far because you end up hurting your own income. So you're just gonna keep earning as much as you can. Happy to pay the tax and pay more of it because that means you're earning more money. I wouldn't say you're happy to pay the tax. <laughs> well, you gotta be happy, you know, because you got no choice, man. <laughs> I think you just you just accept it, right? It is what it is. It's a cost of doing business. Put it that way. <laughs> you don't pay tax unless you make money. <laughs> so I would always prefer to make a dollar and pay 30, 40 cents, 50 cents, whatever it is. So coming back to that point, when I got these older houses, I actually don't have very many people that would want to buy them. So here I've got this guy that's really focused on making money and I know he doesn't care about the physical nature of, of these properties. He got all of them. Every time I got this deal, I was like, wow, that's actually a really good deal. The house is a bit old, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's, got, it's, not, it's not amazing. But I had no one else or very few people to send it to. So he got all of them. And then when he saw these houses, I was like, wow, Simon, that's a bargain. All right, done. Let's do it. Let's go for it. And that's how we ended up with eight in 12 months. So <laughs> it's like, again, this isn't like me saying, telling people, oh, you know, you need to drop your guard and just buy all the dumps out there. But the focus is more about numbers, and it's okay to to balance that out with some of the you know physical attributes of a property to give you peace of mind. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but I think I think it also comes with time. You know, the more experience you get with owning properties, maybe you start off with a few nice looking properties, but after a while, what really hits home is sitting on your computer late at night, one night, looking at the bank statements coming through looking at the property management statements coming through and realizing what actually affects me in my sleep is how much this house is costing me and how much rent I'm getting and also how much it's worth versus how much I pay for it. That's really the bottom line. Exactly. You know, at the end of the day, you're not going to be visiting that property every day. You're not going to be driving past it, I assume. All that matters is as long as it's a good, good tenant in there, pays the rent and it's not going to fall over. <laughs> That's all that really matters at the end of the day because, you know, just imagine you build up a portfolio of 20. Who's going to have time to manage all that? That's why you start hiring external parties to you know, manage all that as well. And you, you already know that in your own position as well because, you know, you run your own property portfolio as well with your own property management agency. Look, they're livable, night, like, you know, clean, tidy, but they're older. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I priced them rent accordingly. The people living in it, the renters, they're very happy because they they don't expect like a, 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 a nice product. They're happy for that. And the trade-off is they pay less rent. So everyone's happy. <laughs> in actual fact, sometimes I think the older properties are better. It just depends on where you buy and what you buy. I mean, I, I used to look at the older ones like the brick houses and even though they didn't look nice, they're actually a lot better than our current constructions because at this point in time, a lot of the builders and developers just from my experience working in that space is that they, it's, it's about time and speed. You know, If they can deliver something quickly, they would find the lightest, cheapest material possible to be able to just construct it. Gone are the days now where you build double brick homes. There's no such thing. It's too costly. Well, it's actually not even that. It's, um, well, it is kind of that as well. Like I've noticed and everyone noticed this as well. Some of the more newer building methods that, that, that builders or development companies, especially when they're building houses en masse, so like a massive project marketing type scenario, they're using prefab, uh, you know, uh, materials, 
you know, you always hear about pretty average workmanship. They're putting up these houses in a very short amount of time. Like in a week, I've seen a whole set of townhouses just built up. Like basically, they just bring it in. It's all paneled up. They just join it together like a jigsaw puzzle and they're up. And it's like, wow, how do they do that? But it's just all been pre-made. And I think um, it's apparent now, I mean, you hear it in the news, like the quality is, is not great. You know, within not even years, like months, you start seeing cracks. You start seeing this starts going wrong. This hasn't been put in properly, all that kind of stuff. And it's not even that as well. I think... A lot of the newer properties are built to uh, a, a, a much more affordable cost nowadays. Building costs are so high, people have very strict budgets now, housing prices are high. So they scrimp on the inclusions, they scrimp on the living spaces, you know, they scrimp on the land sizes. I mean, a lot of houses seem now like 200 square meters even. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't even know how people live in those smaller spaces. That's another argument where newer doesn't necessarily mean easier maintenance, low maintenance or anything like that. In some cases, it actually means more. If anything, the house that's been standing for 20 plus years and still is in decent condition, it's, it's proven itself. It's probably going to be doing looking pretty similar for the next 20 years if nothing's happened for the part in, the early, in the first 20 years. So you kind of just have to think about it logically, again, unemotionally. Um, you know, it's not, about, it's not about you living in there. You probably won't even see it during the entire ownership from buying to selling. But what really matters is, uh, is, is more than numbers. So let's just run some quick numbers since we're talking about that now. Um, how much was the portfolio, let's say you, you purchased on average, um, I think you mentioned it's about 300K each property. How much is it? like I guess in terms of cost and then how much do you think it's gone up by since the last 12 months? So in terms of total purchase value, looking at maybe around about the 2.7 mil mark. Uh, in terms of the actual current value, somewhere between 3.8 to 4 mil at the moment. So within 12 months, you know, about a mil or 900k-ish worth of uh, growth or equity if you want to call it. Um, and uh, the, the yield at the moment is around about the 6.4%-ish mark. So across the board. So cash flow is there, growth is there, equity is there. And, you know, for him in, in such a short amount of time, he's, he's, got, he's got choices now. You know, he can choose to keep going, which he actually is. Um, but he can now also choose to, if he wanted to, consolidate some debt sell down some of those initial ones that has grown quite a bit. And uh, with the profit from those sales, park the funds in the offset accounts of the other properties that he has or simply pay them off. And if you think about it, let's say conservatively, the net income for these properties is $300 a week. And when I say net income, I'm minusing things like council rates, property management fees, insurances, uh, in other holding costs. $300 a week times just three properties paid off is around 900 bucks a week already. And that supplements, that supplements an average income, you know, $45,000 take home, which works out to be about 70,000 uh, 70 odd thousand dollars uh, salary. So like people have a, a thing where they think, oh, I'm never gonna buy eight properties or I'm never going to get myself $1,000 a week of passive income. 
here's a guy that's he came from probably a, a, a much much more um, uh, uh, slightly better sort of financial circumstances. But even I mean, he he went hard. You know, eight properties in twelve months is probably something that not I would not even I would recommend <laughs> in terms of aggressiveness. But um, you know, if you give yourself a two year time frame or five year time frame, you can see how it, it, it's not something that is not even difficult, but not even super risky either. You know what I mean? But it really comes down to buying the right types of properties. You can't just buy a property and hope and pray that's going to happen. And last one I wanted to mention before we wrap up is you mentioned he's purchased two properties in WA. Um, what's the reason for jumping from Queensland to WA now? A couple of things. Land tax is a consideration. Um, uh, the other thing is simply that, uh, you know, WA Perth, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are, are realizing, it's, it's starting to pick up. It hasn't started, it actually started already, but it's probably in, in its teething stages in comparison to something like Brisbane. So I think for this client, it was more kind of like an exposure to both markets, you know. So there were, there were a couple of reasons. The yields in, um, in WA are a lot higher because we're starting from uh, quite a low base as well. Uh, in terms of purchase price, but um, but it was just about being opportunistic. You know, if you can make money in an area like Brisbane uh, up until a certain point, the same would apply whether you're buying in Perth, whether you're buying in Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne, but timing is key. So obviously, Sydney and Melbourne don't make any sense at the moment. I'd argue that Adelaide is pretty much at the and a lot of it has happened. A lot of growth has happened in Adelaide, you know. Um, so, I, look, I mean, based on fundamentals, I'm not seeing a lot of people moving to Adelaide. I'm not seeing a lot of businesses or companies setting up shop there. So, you kind of have to think it's a little bit limited there. Whereas areas like Perth, we're getting more of that own occupy activity. We're getting, you know, it's starting to diversify a little bit more away from the whole mining thing that it's always been known for. So less, a lot less reliant on mining. Um, you know, factors like a lot more interest from overseas. You know, being in the same time zones as a lot of Southeast Asia, being only four hours flight away. Uh, I think uh, I think I mentioned this in another episode. There's a lot of scared money off the back of COVID, off the uncertainty with a lot of you know economic stuff happening in China at the moment. Um, there's a, there's a lot of demand from these people uh, from these areas looking for Plan B, right? And they're buying up in areas like Perth so that if something does happen, they can move, escape. There's a little bit of that happening as well. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been to Perth, but it's just very pretty. I mean, I haven't been, but my parents recently went there and they just said it's beautiful. And I got them a cruise down the river and they said this is amazing. Really pretty place. Maybe because it's west and like the sun hits different, but the um, Beaches, everything is just very, very not. And like the the culture in Perth is very laid back. You know, if you walk in the CBD in Sydney, you'll see a lot of suits and ties and all that kind of stuff. People are rushing. It's very fast pace. You rarely see that in Perth. Like most people are just wearing shorts. Even business people. You know, so I think um, all those reasons is why we're in Perth at the moment. Diversification, land tax is probably the main.
Thank you to buyer's agent Simon Liu, our guest on this special episode of Invest Like a Pro presented by Housefinder. Also, for being a loyal listener of the podcast, I've asked Simon to offer a free one-hour strategy session normally valued at $500 to help you put together an actionable property plan. To get your free strategy session, simply visit housefinder.com.au and fill out the contact form or call Simon directly on 0415 626 342 and quote, property investory.